0: For the past group of weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans. We're going to continue doing so today. And uh, today we're in chapter 5 of the book of Romans, and we're going to be talking about this idea of hope. Specifically, when we look at the section we're about to look at, I hope you see something that I'm seeing here in this portion of Scripture because it gives us four reasons not to lose hope, even if you're tempted to. Now, I, depending on what season of life you're in right now, maybe... Uh, this is something that you identify with strongly, or maybe this is something that you identify with just a little bit. But as we look at this portion of Scripture from Romans chapter 5, we could see that this is a concept that we're, we're given not just general ideas of why we as believers in Jesus Christ do not need to lose hope, but we're given very specific, long-lasting, eternally consequential reasons not to lose hope. So take your Bibles and, and turn with me To Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 11, but this is what it says in the passage. It says, "...therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God." Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and to think about these things that you've communicated to us in it. And Lord, by your grace, we pray that you'd help us to apply these truths to our lives. We pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to these things that you bring up in this portion of Scripture through the Apostle Paul's writing, communicating to our minds and to our hearts aspects of work that you accomplish on our behalf. So Lord, we're grateful that we have the privilege to be able to look at these things together today. And we pray, Lord, that you'd work in our minds and that you'd work in our hearts to understand these things and apply these things in every context of life that we find ourselves in. We're grateful for this all, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention this again because there's something I want to say about it. I'm a big fan of multiple genres of music. So when somebody asks me, what's your favorite kind of music that could change very easily on a given day. In fact, at this point, I don't really have an answer for that because I like multiple genres. And there was a song that was released some years ago. I don't remember exactly how long ago it was released, but the song speaks about being stuck in a moment. You know, That's the concept of the song. That's the theme of the song. It speaks about being stuck in a moment. And I, I imagine that that's probably a concept that most of us can identify with to some degree, because sometimes, depending on our circumstances, our circumstances can start to feel all-consuming uh, to the point that it's hard to see beyond them. You know, it's difficult to see beyond circumstances once they kind of take that all-consuming uh, point or focus in our lives, and so we get stuck in a moment. You know, instead of seeing what's further up ahead, we struggle to see much further beyond the four walls that surround us. And when we experience seasons like that, and probably to some degree all of us have experienced seasons like that, I think it can become rather easy to become discouraged. And I think it can be rather easy to become depressed when we get stuck in a moment like that. I think in those moments we might even be tempted to lose hope. Now, there's another song that I heard years ago. I think I first heard it in college. And the premise of the song, and I know it was being said in a sarcastic way, but it was kind of comedic in a sense. But the premise of the song, or the theme of the song was, since I gave up hope, I feel a lot better. That's what the, that's what the singer said. He's like, since I gave up hope, I feel a lot better. And he was saying it sarcastically. It was actually a Christian singer that said it. And, um, and he was just joking about it. But is that, Really true? Like, if you, if you give up hope, will you just feel a lot better? Like, if you just lower your expectations and you're like, all right, let me just give up hope. Uh, and then that way I can't be disappointed, right? Wouldn't that be like a way maybe we could protect our hearts from pain? You know, just, just give up hope, then maybe you don't feel all that disappointed. Should we give up hope? Obviously, I don't think so. And when we look at this portion of Scripture, I think it confirms to us reasons why that's the case. So when we read the counsel found in a portion of Scripture like this, we can see that the Lord desires that we experience not just a wishful thought toward the future, but a genuine hope. He wants us to be hopeful people. But how can we maintain hope if right now our circumstances are starting to feel a bit hopeless? I think there's an answer to that. I think there's multiple answers to that given to us in Romans chapter 5 here. And I think when you look at this scripture, we can see at least four significant reasons why we shouldn't lose hope, even if we're tempted to. And the first is this. We can have peace with God. So think about what that means for just a second. If I say to you that you can have peace with God, What would you think that that would mean? Let me reread verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we dig into exactly what's being said there, I want to share something from uh, my recent experience that I think speaks to an issue like this. When somebody offends you, and there's probably somebody in the course of your life that's offended you. There's probably many many people over the course of your life who have offended you. But when someone offends you, how long do you hold on to the offense? And I bring that up because not long ago, someone that I've known for many years did something that directly impacted me, and it actually offended me. And when I'm hurt, uh, uh, you know, or you know, so in that context, I was hurt. And when I'm hurt, when I'm hurting it's very easy for me to become a bit defensive. It's very easy for me to become protective of my heart in an attempt to try and prevent myself from getting hurt even further. And I think it's a little too easy for me to hold a grudge. I don't think in general I'm a grudge holder, um, but I think Sometimes in moments like that, I think, no, it's still pretty easy to hold a grudge, which unfortunately could do damage to a relationship. It could sever a friendship. It's not unhealthy. it's, It's not healthy. It's very unhealthy, and it's not something that we want to adopt in our lives. And so as this was going on, the Holy Spirit made it clear to me that I was holding on to anger in an unhealthy way, and I was mostly internalizing it. And when he convicted my heart of this, one of the things that he also convicted me to do was to pray for the person who had offended me every day, to make it part of my daily pattern to pray for that person. And so I began praying for that person every day, believing that this is what the Lord wanted me to do. And in the process, what I began to notice was my anger started to melt away, and I began rooting for that person, another brother in Christ, To do well. I was rooting for him. I was praying for him. I felt emotionally and spiritually invested in his well being, and I watched the Lord allow my anger to subside and return to a loving perspective. Now, it's one thing to experience conflict with a family member or a friend. And we probably, again, at at any of us, you know, almost at any season of life that you're in, You can identify with that idea of what it feels like to be in conflict with somebody. But imagine if that was the nature of your relationship with God. If your relationship with God was one that was primarily characterized by conflict. And sadly, that's exactly what used to characterize our relationship with Him. This idea of being in conflict with God or in hostility uh, or um, separation. But then you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and this portion of Scripture tells us that that can all be different. Instead of living in conflict with God, we're offered the privilege to be at peace with God, to experience peace from God. And here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul tells us that this peace, has it's been secured for us through Jesus Christ. Meaning, the moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ, We experience peace with God. The hostility is eradicated. The separation ends. We experience peace with God. And living at peace with God is one of the greatest privileges that we experience as believers in Jesus Christ. It's also something that I think we should remind ourselves of quite regularly. You know, this world throws a lot of things at us that I think try and compete for our sense of peace. You've probably gone through seasons in your life where you felt overly anxious, or maybe there are things going on around you that feel very much outside of your control. And so the idea of having peace in any given moment, sometimes it feels very elusive, and usually it's because we're trying to find peace through our circumstances. And then when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, it tells us that if we genuinely trust in Jesus Christ, we have already been blessed with peace, with God. Something that I believe we should remind our hearts of regularly. This is something that's been secured for us by Jesus Christ. And that being the case, we don't need to lose hope. We don't need to be hopeless people. We can be hopeful people, no matter what we may experience in this world. Because the peace that God graciously offers His children, it's not something that's going to go away. It's not something that He offers for a moment and then rescinds. And likewise, because that's something that He offers us, it's not anchored in our circumstances, and it's not anchored in our abilities, and it's not anchored in whether or not we deserved it to begin with. He reminds us that we can therefore rejoice in Him in all circumstances. Let me show you what it says. Let me reread verses two to five again. We read it a few moments ago, but let me reread it because I want us to notice what it says here. It teaches us we can rejoice in all circumstances where it says this. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pause there for just a second. Um, Does anyone here like change, just in general? Do you like change? (laughs) When you say that generally speaking, like there's probably a few areas that we like change. Uh but most areas in life, I think that just naturally speaking, uh change isn't always welcome. There's a few unique personalities that like change all the time, but that's not usually the dominant characteristic of, of most people's lives. And so one of the hardest things typically for us to adjust to is change. When circumstances change, when things, you know, around us begin to change, because every so often, right when we get comfortably settled into our routines, we're handed a surprise. And I'm sure you've noticed this over the course of your life. Jobs change. Finances uh, deplete. Illnesses show up. People we love unexpectedly pass away. And then you look at what Scripture reveals to us about God, and it tells us of our Lord that He never changes. He never changes. He's worthy of our hope. And since we've obtained confident access into His presence, right into His throne, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can also trust Him to help us stand in the midst of adversity. When things change around us, when things become difficult, when things become oppressive, we can stand in the midst of those seasons of adversity because we're standing in Him who gives us the strength to stand. We're standing in Him who never changes. And the Scripture reminds us that... We come into His presence by faith, we stand by His grace, and we rejoice in hope. And that's something that's true in all circumstances. The same Lord who called us unto Himself is the same one who holds us firmly in His fatherly grip. Now, being convinced of these things, I think it changes our perspective toward current difficulties and current circumstances and even our perspective toward future struggles because we recognize that the Lord's helping us to see beyond those things and to trust that there's a long-term purpose for them. Not long ago my wife was telling me about somebody that is uh, a coworker of hers and I think that this is an interesting thought to consider today being Veterans Day. But uh she has a coworker with a very interesting life story. And during the course of his life, he's experienced some rather traumatic events, and I don't know all the details of every last one of the events, but I know a few of the details. And some of these events that occurred that were rather traumatic happened while he was a soldier in the midst of battle. And so he saw these things, he dealt with these things, they were very difficult, they were very trying. And yet, to interact with him, you would never realize that he's seen what he's seen. Uh, or been through such horrific activity. You wouldn't realize it. Uh, and he's been actually interviewed multiple times by people who study post-traumatic stress because they're intensely curious about why he's so well-adjusted and why he's so at peace after the things that he's seen. And they know the details about what he's seen. And he jokes about the fact that they just don't seem to want to accept his answer But the answer he gives to them is the same one every time he's been asked to participate in one of these studies. And his answer has them has been that he has learned how to rejoice in suffering because his hope is anchored in Christ. He's learned how to rejoice in suffering because his hope is anchored in Christ. And he says every time he's been interviewed for one of these things, he always shares that information. And they're like, okay, yeah, but tell us what really helped. You know, what, what's really helping you deal with adversity? What's really helping you deal with these traumatic events? And he's like, that's really what's helping me. I've learned to rejoice in every circumstance because my hope is anchored in Christ. So now think about this from a personal standpoint. Because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that you are a child of God. You're not somebody that's out on the outside. You're not somebody that's just at, at a distance from God. You're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, your hope, my hope, should be anchored in Christ. And if our hope is anchored in Christ, we can rejoice in our sufferings. And when you look at what the Lord does through suffering, you begin to realize that our suffering has a purpose. You're currently going through a season of suffering right now. Don't waste it. Rejoice in it, because God is doing something good in you and through you. And even for you in the midst of it. Because when you look at what the Lord does through our suffering, one of the things that He does for us is He uses it in this process of sanctifying us. You and I are going through a process right now where the Lord is seeking to produce more and more holiness in our lives. He already sees us as holy in His eyes. But right now He's teaching us more about holiness. And a lot of times the way that teaching comes to us is through adversity. So He's actually sanctifying you in the midst of it. He's producing holiness in your day-to-day life. He's orchestrating your sanctification. He's using your suffering to teach you to endure. When you look at what the Apostle Paul says in these verses, the Lord's teaching you to endure through your suffering. He's using your endurance to make you a person of character. And He's using your character to produce a deeper sense of hope in Him. He makes it clear all throughout His Word that He's not going to disappoint you. So you see holiness and endurance and character and hope all being byproduct of difficulty or suffering or adversity and the Lord bringing good out of what from a worldly perspective seems difficult or unfortunate. And in fact, as added confirmation that our hope in the Lord is not misplaced. When you look at this portion of Scripture, it also tells us that the Lord has given us His Holy Spirit to live within us. And what's the Holy Spirit doing within us? As He lives within you? as He lives within me? What's He doing? Well, He's quietly and confidently assuring our hearts that the gospel is true. He's quietly and confidently uh, assuring us that we're part of the kingdom and the family of God forever through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's also reminding us in our seasons of complacency or in our seasons of uncertainty, he's reminding us of the abiding love of God. And the picture that we're given in this portion of Scripture is that he's doing this like a steady stream of water that never runs dry. And he's pouring the love of God over and over and over into our hearts continually and making us confident that God's love is not conditional or fickle. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. And we're reminded in this context, don't lose hope, because we have the continual assurance of the presence of God with us and the work of God in us and through us. Something else that we could see that this portion of Scripture brings out that I want us to notice is this. We could also be confident of God's love. Look again at verse 6 down to verse 8. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's the most consequential thing that anyone's ever done for you? When you just kind of trace the course of your life, or the events that have taken place over the course of your life? What's the most consequential thing that you could say that anyone has ever done for you? I was reminded recently of uh, something that a friend of mine did for me that very well may have saved my life when I was 18 years old. Uh, It was during the first week of our freshman year of college. And uh, several of us were driving someplace. I don't even remember where we were driving. But there were, I think, five of us in a car, and uh, I was, so there was the driver, my friend was in the passenger seat in the front, and I was seated right behind the driver, and then there were two additional people to the right. We were driving, and we were going down Business Route 1 in this direction toward the Neshaminy Mall, and um, we got to a spot, and I wasn't paying close attention, I wasn't in the front of the car and couldn't obviously see every last detail that someone in the front could, And I was just sitting there, kind of looking out my window. My friend was cruising along driving, and we got to a spot where there was a stoplight, but he wasn't paying attention, and he was about to run that stoplight. And she screamed. My friend in the front seat, she screamed, and he slammed on his brakes. And as he slammed on his brakes, a car zipped right in front of us at high speed. Just zoom, right in front of us. And I remember, and still sometimes when I think about it, even when I drive by that, that uh, intersection down there, I think of it. You know, it's been um, it's been 24 years since that happened, but I think of it. And I've repeated that story to my kids as they've uh, been getting their licenses and buying cars and things like that because it's something that's on my mind. I actually had a chance to see that woman uh, just a, a month ago, and I reminded her of that. And I said, you know, you effectively saved my life in that moment because I don't see how... I could have, if I did survive that, I don't think I would have been the same. That would have been a very severe accident with about this much car between me and the front of that other vehicle. Just the side of the car was going to hit right on the side of the car that we were on. And so I thanked her. And, uh, it was funny. She didn't even remember it. <laughs> She's like, I don't even remember it. Yeah, I guess it was just instinctive just to scream, but I remember it. Maybe she didn't remember it because it wasn't going to hit on her side of the car, you know? But no, effectively, her screaming, I remember in that moment being very conscious of it, watching that car zip in front of us at high speed. I thought, she just saved my life. I would have been creamed right now if she had not screamed. And it's one thing to save the life of a friend, or it's, you know, uh, another thing, I guess we could say, to even uh, allow your life to be given for someone that you love. And we've all heard of s- stories of parents that have uh, given their lives for children, We've heard stories of soldiers who have sacrificed their lives to save the lives of many others. But would you sacrifice your life for someone who hated you? you sacrifice your life for a mass murderer? Do you sacrifice your life for that person from your childhood who always belittled you or bullied you or always made you feel miserable, and even though you're an adult, sometimes they still pop back into your head? Would you sacrifice your life for that person? And yet, when we look at this portion of scripture, that's exactly what Christ has done for us. It's exactly what he's done. It says, you know, at just the right time, he did this. The perfect time. At just the right time, he did this. He came to this earth. He took on flesh. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and then he died on the cross. He who had no sin took the death penalty upon himself that the ungodly, that we, deserved. We did not deserve this act of sacrifice or this act of substitution to be made on our behalf, but that's what we received anyway. That's what Christ did for us. And isn't it interesting to consider when you look at what Scripture says about these things, just how nonsensical the notion that the love of God has to be earned or obtained really is, you know, through like our efforts. This idea that we have to earn the love of God, that we have to deserve the love of God to be able to keep His love. When you hold that notion up to this portion of Scripture, it's nonsensical to believe that. Christ came to die for the ungodly. God showed His love for us by sending His Son to die for us when we were still sinners, not when we were righteous. He came to die for us while we were sinners. And I think when we consider the nature of what was done for us at the time of Christ's sacrificial act, I think yet again we're reminded why we should never lose hope. If God was willing to show us His love while we were still dead set against Him, is He not also willing to show us His love once we've come to know Him through faith in His Son? He was willing to show us His love when we were thumbing our nose toward Him and living as His enemies. Is he not willing to also show us his love once we've come to faith in him? We've trusted in Christ. God is not our adversary. He's not set against us. In Christ, this scripture reveals to us, and this is where we'll finish today, we've been reconciled to our Heavenly Father. We've been reconciled to him. Let me finish up by reading verse 9 down to verse 11. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, Now, reconciliation is a term that sometimes I hear people use in regard to relationships, and sometimes I hear people use it in regard to financial things where they reconcile purchases with their checkbook and things of that nature. But at its essence, when you're talking about reconciliation, you're talking about taking something that is far away and bringing it near, something that's distant that you bring up close. So when we were living in sin, we were far from God. We were distant from him. We worshiped our own unrighteousness, and we had no desire for the true righteousness that only he can supply. And then you look at what this scripture reveals to us. It teaches us that the blood of Christ changed that. The blood that Christ shed on your behalf and my behalf changed that. His shed blood was shed for our sin so that we could be declared righteous through faith in him. And the wrath of God that was upon us was placed on Christ in our place. And now through faith in Christ, we are reconciled to God. We are brought near to Him, the scripture's teaching us. We're adopted as His sons. We're saved from divine condemnation. We're no longer enemies of God. Scripture tells us we're now His family. In Christ, we have peace with God. We can rejoice in all circumstances. We can be confident of God's love. We're reconciled to our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you consider yourself an optimist or if generally you consider your personality type to be a little bit more on the pessimistic side. But if you've been going through a challenging season right now, if this is how you would characterize this season of your life, if it's been a little bit difficult, maybe a little extra difficult, You've been going through a challenging season right now. I hope when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, that the Lord uses these reminders from His Word to remind your heart specifically not to lose hope, even if you're tempted to. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and to look at it and meditate on it. And Lord, we pray that as we come before you now, you would speak to our hearts, you'd speak to our minds, that you'd draw us close to yourself, that you'd help us to recognize that even though we may deal with adversity and even though we may deal with difficulty in all sorts of circumstances of life, that we're not in a hopeless context that we have hope that goes beyond our circumstances because our hope is not anchored in things that change. Our hope is ultimately anchored in You. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and was sacrificed on our behalf. That He willingly gave His life to atone for our sin. That He took Your wrath, Father, upon Himself so that Your wrath could be removed from us as we place our trust in Christ. And Lord, we're grateful that we've been given a reminder of this substitutionary sacrifice, that when we partake of communion, as we partake of the bread together, we can be reminded of the fact that Christ's body was given for us. As we drink the juice together, we can be reminded of His blood that was shed for us. And Lord, as we do so today, we pray that this concept of reconciliation this concept of your deep and abiding, unchanging love, that these would be concepts that flood our hearts and flood our minds as your Holy Spirit applies these truths to our day-to-day lives. Lord, we deal with adversity all the time, but at the same time, we know that you're present with us. And so, Lord, whatever we face today, whatever we face this coming week, whatever we face in coming days, things that we can't predict or even foresee, we know, Lord, that ultimately... You don't allow a single thing to come into our lives that isn't for Your glory and for our good. So Lord, we pray that just as we're encouraged in this portion of Scripture that we just looked at moments ago, that we would rejoice in all circumstances, in seasons where everything seems like it's going fine and in seasons when things might seem a little bit miserable. We pray, Lord, that we would not lose hope, but that we would maintain joy and that our joy would be anchored always in You. So we thank you for these things now. We pray that you'd remind us again of all that you have done for us as we partake of communion together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.